Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. Welcome to Rates and Barrels, presented by Topps. Check out Topps Project 70, celebrating 70 years of Topps baseball cards. Derek Van Riper, Eno Saris here with you on this Friday. It's Friday, August 20th. If we are your source of uh, what day is it today or what is the date today, happy to help. Uh, let's uh, let's get into some topics today. You know, I've got a bunch of stuff on the rundown that I'm excited about. I'm always excited about the rundown. Wait a minute. If you're watching us on YouTube, you know it looks like the Cheshire Cat. Uh, and I don't know why. What's, what's what's going on with you? You know, I'm faking it till I make it. <laughs> I'm awake. Uh, this is how I wake up. I don't drink coffee. Yeah, well, we're on the same page for now. Like I drink, <laughs> I drink coffee. I just I, I'm not used to getting up early enough to make coffee for all my shows, which is really problematic because I kind of need it to be good at my job or at least competent at my job. So we'll see how this goes, an uncaffeinated version, but I did shower, so I think that's like the value half of the battle. half a coffee, yeah. <laughs> half a coffee. I mean, a pot of coffee gets me a lot further than a shower, but a shower is probably like the first cup of coffee of the day, so I'll, I'll, <laughs> I'll take that, and it's not smell-o-vision, but I'm sure everybody appreciates the extra effort, especially on YouTube. <laughs> Clearly, I need a haircut and a shave, so the grooming is uh, you know behind pace for where it should be at this point, especially on a, it's the weekend. Like you got to be cleaned up for the weekend. You're going to go to the beach no, or do no, something no. nice. I limp into the weekend. Oh, you just, you just drag yourself to the I weekend? Just drag myself to the weekend's doorstep, barely making it every week. You know, this is actually a thing that happened in any career that I've had since I've had about three so far, uh, is that no matter what, Friday, I always thought, you know, like in school, Friday was like, oh, Friday, you know, like, let's go out, you know. And then as soon as I became a professional, I was like, Friday, let's, let's go out. No, tomorrow. <laughs> yeah, let's, let's save it for Saturday. That, that's kind of how yeah. it goes. Yeah, I'm with you. I mean, I got another round of random furniture and things to build. So that's uh, that's my weekend. That's your, that's your weekend. <laughs> that's my weekend. Building it all up. Uh, on this episode, we're going to talk about some starting pitching. Because on the last episode, we talked a lot about bats, especially just in the top 10. And we kind of wondered, like, well, who's the number one pitcher? We'll dig into that a little bit, talk about some other guys who might be near the top of the board. But we're also going to talk about some players that have taken massive steps forward this season. And try to figure out how much we trust those players to hold those skills gains going forward. A lot of great mailbag questions, as always, that we'll get to as well. But let's begin with our pitching conversation there's an actual debate atop the board because of Jacob DeGrom's injury. And I think Walker Bueller currently stands out to me as the most likely first pitcher off the board if we're looking ahead to 2022. But I think Garrett Cole is a candidate for that. I think Brandon Woodruff, who you mentioned as a possible option last time out, he could be in the mix. Maybe Corbin Burns is in the conversation at least. Scherzer, Zach Wheeler... 
Jack Flaherty, probably not for first off the board, but you know near the top of the group, right? So we're kind of pushing into this range. We, maybe we've got five to ten names that definitely make sense as a group of guys who will be among the first off the board. Darvish, I think, will still be close to that if he's not a part of that group as well. Uh, but as you kind of think about names that belong clearly in the conversation, one that I didn't immediately think of that I saw on the earned value calculator is Kevin Gossman. And he's a free agent this offseason, so where he goes this winter is going to guide some of this. But how much are we believing in this version of Kevin Gossman is something that we could get possibly in other ballparks and in the future. I mean, he's definitely one of those guys that has both stuff and command. Um, and I think the only question mark, the only asterisk is that his his arsenal is not wide. And it's not going to get any wider. But I've talked to him recently. I talked to his pitching coaches. I talked to his manager, you know, working up a story about him. And, you know, some people say like, oh, if you can command the slider to both sides of the plate, it's two pitches, right? Um, And I think for him, what stands out is his command plus is 111 last year. It's uh, like 110 or something this year. Like he's a guy who has great command and great stuff. It's not side to side, though. It's up and down. And I guess that works in the modern game. You know, he has a changeup he'll throw that's above that's above the strike zone and drops into it. You know, then he has a fastball that stays above the zone. Right. And then he has a fastball that's in the zone. And he has a fastball. He can do a changeup that's at the top of the zone that drops further. You know, so like he just works up and down with both of them. And when he really needs a whiff, it's the splitter because that just has the nastiest movement. So um, I have to say, like, it's a little bit Tyler Glass now, but without the uh, without the injury component and more command. I mean, how many who else is like this? Corbin? But yeah. Corbin didn't throw 97. No, no, not even close. Who, who else is like this? Who's a two pitch guy that like went far? Lester? He had good command, but he didn't. I mean, he didn't throw hard. Yeah, it wasn't premium velocity. And he sort of became like three and four pitch guy as he got older. Yeah, it's hard to get by with two pitches like that at the highest possible level. You can be very good for a long time and and make it work. But maybe we're not giving the change up enough script, though. Let's say it's a three pitch mix because people have two breaking balls, right? Why it wouldn't be that weird if a guy has two change ups, right? No, wouldn't be weird. All right, so he's a three changeup. He's a three pitch guy with command and stuff. I don't know why the the only thing is a homer problem sometimes because he up in the zone. Sometimes he loses a little bit of ride on the fastball and and things fall apart. Hmm. Yeah, I'm I'm torn here because I'd say it's more risk than some of the other guys. I mean, Bueller has like three breaking balls and throws you know throws hard and th- has you know high ride and yeah. If if the changeup. The, the second the second changeup and the slider, if those were 10, 15% pitches, if even if one of them were, that would go a really long way here, just in terms of the usage. Like it's it's definitely a limiting factor for me. I think they might I think the changeup might be. I think we would we misclassified a lot. But I'm gonna try and look into that because he he gave me some percentage and I forget exactly what it was, but it's more than more than what we have. The splitter is ridiculous by results, by the way. Holy cow, I have not looked at this I've not looked at this in a while. 109 batting average against, 156 slugging against, and a 141 Woba allowed on that pitch. I mean, that is all the all the wow. damage is on the fastball. 
Yeah. But like, you know, okay, so Woodruff and 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 um, Bueller are easy for me uh, ahead of him. Clearly. You just have more clearly. pitches, uh, younger. I don't know. They just, just, I, they have the same amount of sort of stuff in command. Bueller has more stuff than command, but uh, th- this is good. Um, this may come up a little bit more later, but um, uh, stuff is stickier year to year than command. Hmm. This is a, a recent thing that we found out while we're benchmarking. So it is a little better to bet on stuff uh, year to year. And then if you find a breakout and it's because they have good location like Robbie Ray this year, uh, then uh, then you can bet on them because uh, location becomes sticky within year really fast. So uh, given that, uh, Gossman has good stuff, So I, it's but Woodruff and Bueller have better stuff. Yeah, I think... Then, if, then if, I think the hardest thing for Gossman is how, where do you put him against the injured old guys? I think Scherzer. he, he kind of fits just behind that group for me. Like the injured older guys. I mean, a healthy Clayton Kershaw, I think I'd still take over Gossman. It'd be close, but I, I think Gossman and Lance Lynn are bundled together. I'm looking at the Rotowire rankings right now just because Clay Link does a great job uh, leading that effort to keep those updated. And they're both just outside the top 10. That makes sense in my head, at least in terms of how I group players. Uh, because he's got, okay, so here's the, here's the would you rather. Cole versus Gossman, obviously Cole, right? Not even yeah. really a debate. Bueller, so, as you just mentioned, is clearly ahead of him. Woodruff's ahead of him. Corbin DeGrom. Burns, clearly ahead of him. DeGrom. Is Giolito still up there? I think he's the name I didn't mention before that most people might still have as a top 10 pitcher. I think I'd uh, I'd have them near each other. Okay. But I think I'd take Gossman over Giolito. Interesting, okay. So they'd be at least same tier. Aaron Gio doesn't have good command. Aaron Nola. I'll take Gossman over Nola because Gossman has more stuff. Okay, so you might be a little higher on Gossman than most. What about Zach Wheeler, who's having just an amazing season for the Phillies? Wheeler is like back end top five for me now. Okay, so yeah, so when we're talking about let me see drafts next spring. I mean, Wheeler might be going like at that one two turn. Well, if there's a there's also this whole thing of NLDH. You know, that just makes it kind of hard. Let's let's say, assuming NLDH, I go Cole, Bueller, DeGrom. And that's assuming DeGrom is entering draft season healthy. Right. I think DeGrom, I'm going to just take an NA on DeGrom right now. I just, I think we need more information. Cole, Bueller, Woodruff. No, no disagreement here. NLDH, I, I, I just, I think Cole... Cole's just had done it for so long, and he's and he made it through the sticky stuff enforcement and came out the other side. And he has a big pitch mix, and they're all really good pitches. Uh, so I think I think it's Cole number one for me. Bueller also uh, has had an injury history. Um, he 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 hasn't even really settled down into his three breaking balls. You know, his his breaking balls are kind of in flux all the time. Anyway, uh, but I'm not really talking crap on him because he's not in number two. So Cole, Bueller, Woodruff. Uh, okay, then the ones that are hard next are Burns. Um, Burns is so good, man. It's it's yeah, rid- just... it's ridiculous. Who who else goes in that Burns group? Oh, uh, who am I missing? Let me get my ranks up. That'll help. Yeah, get your ranks going too. Dar. I mean, I like we mentioned Darvish. He's He's clearly somewhere in here. 
Not that high up for me. Behind behind the Burns group. Oh, Scherzer. Yeah, Scherzer's still in here. Is is he in the, the top group or is he in that, that second one? Uh I think he's after Burns. Afterburns. Afterburners. Afterburns. Uh, he's after Burns. I think uh Scherzer Gossman. Bieber, Scherzer. I mean, I need I need information on Bieber too. Bieber too. <laughs> You're already thinking about beer. Uh, Bieber. <laughs> Bieber is a ghost right now. It feels like yeah, same situation as Degrom. Like I I have, I have no confidence about what his actual availability for the start of the season is and going I to think, look like. Let's say you were drafting right now. I think you would push them all down because you, they could have TJ or whatever. They could have surgery. We still don't know. Like People sort of think Bieber's going to miss the whole season from what I hear from poking around the team. So what you've got is Cole. Why do I have Bueller so low in this ranking? It's weird. He lost a bunch of spin, which is pretty fascinating because yeah. he's still pitching really, really well. well. The bat only projects him seven, 17 going forward when I had him. Uh, I think I think he should be number two. Uh, no. I love Brandon Woodruff so much. I'm going to. Cole, Woodruff, Bueller, Wheeler. Cole, Woodruff, Bueller, Burns, Wheeler. Whew. Then what? Wide open. That's five? Yeah, that was five. Four. That was a top five. Five. Okay, I'll put Scherzer in because his he's pitching. He has he's not like in that DeGrom category where we don't know what he's gonna do. He's a little bit of an injury risk and he's older. So I'll put Scherzer six. And uh then I guess that we start talking about Gossman, Rodone, um Nola. And a Gilito and Peralta, maybe Musgrove. That's and then Lynn. That's and Nola. That's where I'm. That's sort of my top fifteen. That is. That feels so messy. Not like your ranking specifically, but just the well, names that are getting in there. The funniest thing is, I used to be able to get to like the top ten, being like pop, 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 like what I did with the top five, right? Like mm. I'd just be like, yeah, this is the top ten. Uh. I think I feel like I used to be able to do that for top twenty, and then it was top fifteen, and then it was top ten, and now I'm like five. We got five good pitchers, and everybody else has question marks. Ah, <laughs> uh, it's not a good trend. Uh, because we <laughs> one day we'll be like, well, we have Cole. We know who the best pitcher is, but we really don't know anything after that. Yeah. So I mean, that's what that's what it's like when Degrom's healthy. Yeah, that's that's very true. So we didn't really think about him because of our weekly league mindsets when we were first talking about top five overall players. But where does Otani go among pitchers for you? If you're, if I mean, there's some leagues that split him into hitter and a pitcher. But if you're just evaluating him solely based on what he brings as a pitcher, I feel like his workload as a pitcher relative to his uh, to the other top starting pitchers, there's more of a discrepancy there than there is compared to his uh, workload as a hitter compared to the other top hitters. Right? We talked about that a little bit. Uh, on Wednesday's show, like, he's he's down in playing time compared to the guys that play every single day, but he's not so far down in playing time where it's working that much against him. He's thrown 100 innings so far this season. 18 starts, 120 Ks, a 279 ERA, a 106 whip, 
Still has some control issues, but those are actually getting a bit better. I mean, look at his more recent body of work. He's got a 25-3 to over his last 27 innings, so uh, no walks in three of his last four starts. So it's really impressive to see that side of his game taking a step forward as well. If you're only ranking Otani as a pitcher, where in the ballpark do you think he'd end up? God, I hate that. I hate this. I hate that this works out this way, but he reminds me of a younger Yu Darvish in that he has great stuff, but not great command. Um, and the command does itch at me a little bit. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, I just I just don't think what he's doing right now is what I would, like, you know, project him anywhere close to next year. And the one nice thing, though, is that his location plus is not as bad as his command plus. His command plus is, like, 87 this year, which is uh, below the kind of reliever shelf that we were t- we've talked about on the show. However, uh, you know, Max Bay was looking at uh, benchmarking and validation for our, our model and he said that when he used uh, location plus, uh, when he like switched out location plus for command plus, command plus did not add any information to our model. So basically, location plus and command plus are fairly interchangeable. Um, it's possible that command plus is stickier year to year than location plus. Uh, we'd have to do that work still. But in any case, Shohei Otani's location plus is 96. So just slightly below average. He can locate uh, the slider well, which is really important, we know. Um, and he can locate the cutter well. He just can't locate uh, the four seam uh, that well or the curve. I don't know. It's a, it's a, That and the injury are enough for me to not put him in the top 10 or anything. I mean, how many innings is he going to give you? And then uh, how will the bad command manifest itself in the future? Both fair questions. I guess the way I would try and and look at Otani is if you're capping him around 140 or 150 innings, where do the guys who we generally expect to fall in that range, where do they go? How far do they slide compared to the top pitchers? And I guess the first name that always pops into my head when I think about 140 to 150 innings being the ceiling is Rich Hill. Oh, no. Kershaw. Well, Kershaw now, but I'm, I'm just saying best. like oh, year over like, oh, pre- previous, like previously day. Kershaw was just, you know, he was Kershaw. He was fine. Kershaw now is probably more like that. But I just think, okay, how did we treat Rich Hill as a guy that would give us really good ratios, plenty of strikeouts and just not as many innings as everybody else. And a lot of times Rich Hill would fall, I think, into the 140, 150 overall range. Now, I realize this is complicated so much by Otani specifically being a guy that's already hit 40 homers this season and is probably going to steal 20 bases. And in leagues where you can use him for both, it, it's totally different. But just as a pitcher, I think he's probably a fringe top 100 overall pick if you're just getting Otani the pitcher, even with all of those concerns, because there is still quite a bit of ceiling there. And I think I'm I'm tempted to say that the way he's adjusted and adapted as a hitter and the progress he has made already just in a few years gives me some hope that he can continue to evolve as a pitcher. Like I, I'd be hesitant to declare Shohei Otani a finished product, given what we've seen in his arc to this point in his career. Yes, and that's why you bet on stuff, and his stuff is 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 so big, and like you know, uh, he, he hasn't been. Especially for him, right? 
Like he, it's not like he has been honing his craft as a pitcher full time since he was eleven. Like most of these guys, you know, mm-hmm. he's been both, so he's been spending half the time on it. So it's totally plausible that uh, he could repeat next year by improving his command and being a little bit less lucky. Yeah. But, um, so that's why you bet on stuff. I think I would just put him. I would like to hear this. Do you have your Roto Wire uh, earned value calculator up? I'd have it nearby. Okay. So give me um, uh, Kyle Hendricks mm-hmm. versus so Kyle Hendricks, 144 innings, uh, pretty close to the top, uh, 404 ERA. Yep. So give me Kyle Hendricks uh, versus. See here, somebody with like about twenty fewer innings, but okay, Lance Lynn. Okay, Lance Lynn's worth twenty, and Kyle Hendricks is worth seven. Hmm. The strikeout rates are pretty different, though. Yeah. Uh, let's do another one. Luis Castillo. He has good strikeout rates, right? Yeah, I, the whip's really bad right now, still for the season. Even though he's pitched better lately, he's got a one four oh three whip for the season. They've got him at a $0 value for the whole year. Oh, okay. How about... uh, It's hard to find these compilers, man. Well, here's another way to look at it. I mean, just looking at Otani compared to the other guys who are worth about the same. Otani's Otani's worth 13 as a pitcher. Uh And Giolito's been worth 13. Giolito's ERA is a run higher. He's thrown Mm -hmm. 41 more innings. He only has one more win. And he's got... 41 more strikeouts on the season. So Otani's got him beaten ratios by a healthy margin and has 40 fewer innings, 41 fewer innings, but has been worth the same amount. I think that's actually a decent place for Otani to live going forward. Giolito. They can be sort of, I think they can be ranking buddies. Yeah, it's weird. <laughs> Jose Barrios you know I mean? is right there too. Uh, well, there's a compiler. There's a bit of a, a, a meat and potatoes. Tyler Malley? Yeah. yeah, I was looking at Miley. Um, I wouldn't put those guys. I may put Barrios up there, but I think uh, this is this is a grouping for me. And they're very different, but I think they belong together. Kershaw, Barrios, Otani, and Giolito, and maybe Darvish. That's like uh, 13 through 16. I like that group a lot. That group makes me feel okay if I don't get one of my top end guys. I and I love, I love, I know uh, Ariel Lacone has done this uh, research about you know getting two aces and and the two secondary aces is not great strategy. But to me, that I would like, I would love to pair one of the meat and potatoes guys in that group with one of the other guys. You know, like a Barrios uh, Giolito combination would feel pretty good. Yeah. I think it. I think it would work. And this year, it would have earned you. It would have earned you what? Like two of the top, you know, twenty starting pitchers, right? Hmm. Well, in this year, I mean, again, it, this has been a strange year. So I, I'm, I'm trying. I'm trying to decide if, if the consistency of the the old approaches isn't necessarily going to work. Like if the ways we typically build a roster might lead us astray because of what 2020 was and how that impacted 2021 no it's 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 coming up in our benchmarking for uh for because hawkeye's only been around for two years and we have hawkeye things in stuff plus 
you know, like observed spin axis and stuff that's in stuff plus. But we only have two years to work with, right? And one of them was really short, and the other one has a bunch of injury and had a sticky stuff enforcement in the middle of the year that changed people's stuff ratings. Mm-hmm. So, um, yes, it is It is maybe important maybe not to overlearn uh, during these times. Um, but uh, right now, in the face of more pitching injuries than we've ever had in the history of baseball, really... Um, I think diversification of risk is better than uh, double tapping aces at the top. That's cool. just how I feel. Uh, I just would. I don't want it to spend that much resource on one position at the very top, it, and it's the most injured position. So I'm I'm going to win a league where I Bieber was my number one pick. So that's fine. I think you can still you can survive if you pick an ace up there, but. You know, Bieber, like I didn't go Bieber, uh, I didn't go to like two pitchers. Like what if I got on Bieber Bauer? Totally plausible. Sure. That yeah, wouldn't have won yeah, that Yeah, that, that would have worked. I mean, that's a one-two turn combination. That would have thing that would have fit on a lot of, of boards. Like you could it have would not, done that. not have won my league. So. No. Uh, you know, I just, and that's, that was a bad name. It's just the one that popped in because he's, it's in the news. Um, but my point is, uh, like there's a lot of risk, uh, in, in the pitchers and pitchers in particular right now. So, um, I'm going to take an ace, uh, and I'm going to, uh, try to maybe double tap in that, uh, Barrios grouping, if it makes sense. I think we should talk about a few other pitchers that, have cases to go much earlier than they would have gone in the past. I mean, Robbie Ray, and I think it boils down to a pretty simple question. Does Robbie Ray own good control now? Have we seen enough to say, this is a different guy and we can trust him to be who we saw throughout 2021 as opposed to pulling the old Jekyll and Hyde and going back to the walk machine that he was prior to this season? Yeah, I think he's a pretty good example of, oh, I did Ray and... I keep getting all the rays. No, I want Robbie Ray. There aren't that many rays. <laughs> okay, his command plus was 95 in 2020. And uh, I think that it was very uh, surprising to me when Max came to me and said that um, uh, stuff plus was more consistent year to year, but location plus uh, was uh, st- stabilized quicker and um, was just as important in pitching plus in the in the in in a given season. So I I actually think that location you know command is the finickier one. You have your stuff basically year to year, and command is the thing that comes and goes. And so I would say no. I think Robbie Ray's a trap, dude. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he had a great year, and uh, the team. Uh, gave him a great strategy, but even if you look at him, you know, in the Stuff Plus app over time, uh, you know, he's lived near uh, 100 and below uh, Location Plus uh, for, you know, like something like five of his starts. So, you know, group those five together differently and uh, you may we may have a different idea about his command. So, two-pitch guy uh with massive walk rates in his past and uh had a year where his location strategy popped i just i see him as a regression candidate pretty hardcore i think that makes sense but i think it will be a 
a fairly common take because there's such a long track record of him struggling to avoid free passes. But it makes me wonder at the flip side, are you buying in for a Blake Snell bounce back? I mean, because we had three years of a low threes walk rate for Snell. He's had occasional home run rate issues, most specifically in the shortened season. This year, the walk rate has been just off the charts bad. Is that who Snell is now, or is Snell a clear rebound candidate for you looking forward? I didn't mention that the other aspect of why uh, location can vary so much year to year is coaching. I mean, location plus has to be affected by coaches. It's there's a game plan. There's a there's, they call certain locations. There's you know, and you know the average tenure of pitching and hitting coaches in baseball right now is somewhere around a year and a half. <laughs> I think pitching coaches, uh, some of them have lasted longer. Like Brent Strom is a, a one man number changer. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> if you're just going to use average, he's gonna he's gonna push that number. Um, but, uh, in like hitting coaches, it's a year and a half. And I would suspect that the median, uh, for pitching coaches is around the same. So, um, I mentioned that because, um, there, I think you could have maybe better strategies for Blake Snell. It took him a really long time to put away the changeup that he was so in love with, you know? Um, and ever since he has his stuff, his stuff has gone up. Um, and with a guy that has, you know, a, a league average four seam, uh, or better than an average four seam, a league average curveball, and a really great slider, uh, I think that a change in pitching coaches uh, could do him uh, some wonders. In fact, uh, well, I, I, I think he would agree with me. Is something I might say. <laughs> <laughs> I think there is something he misses. About Tampa, <laughs> yeah, uh, it's kind of uh, it's one. It's sort of like what it used to be with the Braves back in the the nineties and early two thousands. It was oh, the Braves got rid of a pitcher, duck. It's not going to work. <laughs> like it, you know, I wonder how much of that was location strategy. You know, when you think about it, because Leo Mazzoni was the loan away guy. You know, he was he was all about loan away, and of course, hitters over time started to develop swings that could hit loan away. And so I think at some point your magic runs out if you've got one trick in your bag and it's loan away. But imagine if you're being preached loan away and then you go to a new team and they say, let's do let's do something else here or there. Uh, and maybe you struggle and it's like, oh, see, Braves magic. Well, maybe it was actually coaching. Yeah, work, work inside. Well, I've been working low and away for four years and now I'm working right, that inside. Too. Like now I'm going to ask you to do something. Oh, I just hit a bunch of batters. Crap. Yeah. But uh, the, the, we might have a, a, a little natural segue here. Zoom, zoom. Zoom, 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 zoom. We had a Did question that. come in uh, about That's team right. location plus. We are of one mind. Yes, it is very good here. Uh, the question, <laughs> what one mind, it helps that we're no longer 2,000 miles apart. So I think that's part of this. Uh, this question came in from Peter. He writes, I had a question regarding Location Plus. In the past, I know you've spoken briefly about Location Plus being used to gain some insight on coaching, such that teams with quality coaching will attack quality areas of the zone. I was curious if you could sort by Team Location Plus to see which teams have consistently over or underperformed due to where their pitchers are actually throwing slash missing. Yes, yeah, so I have it by pitch type. So it's a little bit messy, and it's pitch type, location, and stuff. Uh, one thing I want to point out as, as I see this is 
holy crap, the Dodgers are about stuff. <laughs> the Dodgers are number one in slider stuff, number two in cutter stuff, number two in sinker stuff, number one in forcing fastball stuff. Uh, and I can't see their logo on the curveball one, but I think it they're in the uh, top pack. Um, and uh, they are their league average in changeup stuff, but they're number one in changeup location. So the Dodgers uh, have bet heavily on stuff. That's that's something that pops when you look at this. Um, in terms of location stuff, uh, location rankings, the Rays are number one in forcing fastball location plus. Uh, so they're the, they're a big high high uh, forcing uh, team, and they're doing a good job of it. Seems like it's kind of like Moyer with slow, slower, slower. The Rays are high, higher, highest. Um, the Rays also have a really good cutter strategy. Only uh, the Pirates and Brewers have a better uh, cutter location plus. Um, the Rays uh, have a have a top four or five slider location plus too. So I would say the, the the Rays are a top location plus team. The Giants have the second best four seam fastball location plus, the second best changeup plus uh, uh, location plus, the third best curveball location plus, um, and the third best sinker changeup uh, uh, location plus. The only one where they're uh, below the pack in location plus is uh, slider and cutter. Weirdly. But uh, when I see that they are an 80 uh, location plus on the cutter, it makes me think either they don't have a lot of cutter pitchers or they have a different strategy um, that uh, just somehow goes against the norm. So the Giants pop for me too. Um, Teams that uh, are very bland, uh, I would say the Padres uh, show up as... Uh, only having one pitch type that they are comfortably above average in location plus that's uh, that's uh, the cutter um, and uh, they just don't they don't pop in any any way they're kind of a middle of the road team the Rockies have terrible location plus on almost all their pitch types uh, they have the second worst forcing fastball strategy so second to the Royals Hmm. The Royals pop is having terrible location plus. Uh, their sinker, changeup, forcing fastball, uh, and uh, cutter are all uh, among the worst in location plus. Well, interesting, just kind of to point this little random thing out. I'm looking at the, the war leaderboard and kind of looking at the team uh, ERAs and everything. And the Royals' actual ERA is 489, FIPS 450. So they're they're underperforming on that simple metric too. So uh, maybe and there's some explanation there. And what been saying on the show that like they've had a bunch of high picks that people had high expectations for that were kind of waiting around for them all to, to pop in the major leagues. Yeah. And, you know, I think the Dodgers, as great as they are, they're actually overperforming their FIP so far. Not a big surprise to see that. Uh, interesting you mentioned the Rockies, though, because they're mid-pack in terms of war, but it's because they're getting a lot of innings from their starters. Marquez has been good this year. John Gray's actually had a pretty good year, too. Uh, but I, I was expecting them to be buried in, in this uh, just this team pitching war list. I thought they'd be I mean, be some of those fine. guys are also getting private coaching. <laughs> Yeah, that's true. Like John Gray is uh, definitely a driveline guy. 
Uh, one thing that's popping as I'm looking here, uh, the Brewers are all uh, like basically top three to five in stuff plus in every pitch type except for the changeup. I mean, and they're third in pitching. And they have wars probably staff. the best best changeup in baseball. So yeah, yeah, not not surprising. I think for the most part, those teams are are popping the way they are based on the results and and other things we've observed and learned about those teams. Yankees do actually pretty well in, you know, there's a quadrant thing, right? Where like if you're good in stuff and location plus your top right quadrant and the Yankees are top right quadrant in every pitch type except for the cutter. Yeah, not bad. Not bad at all. Uh, there's a related question here, I think, because we're just talking about coaching here. Uh, Alan wrote in on Wednesday's show, Eno said he thinks very highly of Hugh Quaddlebaum. That's the Mets hitting coach. That may wonder, how would one evaluate a hitting coach's value? As a Guardians fan, I know that the fan base has been calling for the organization to fire Ty Van Berkeleo for years, but I don't know if he's good or if the hitters he has, if he's not good or if the hitters he has to work with are the problem. So I'm curious why Eno said that about Quaddlebaum and whether he was basing that on conversations he's had with him or other factors. Thanks for the great content. Yes, so this is a thing that happens with coaching and uh, with player development that we've talked about here. A little bit of faith casting where you kind of, that was a a thing that came up in uh, a conversation that we had with uh, Janice Gurio and uh, Michael Ahedo when they were on while you were traveling. We talked about how different um, our perception is of the player development systems in place in Chicago uh, for the White Sox and the Mariners. And I, you know, I have a personal uh, bias that, you know, the Mariners seem to be doing a lot of things right and that uh, the industry consensus is that the White Sox are behind the times. Now, these things shift and, you know, the White Sox have been improving their processes and have been improving their data and tech and and especially at the major league level made a really big switch in going from Cooper to Katz um, at the pitching level on the pitching side. Uh, But. I think that they're, you know, having known how backwards they were just two to three years ago, even uh, I would I would be surprised if the White Sox were a top 10 player development system. However, they they give us uh, all these great players. right? I mean, like uh, all these great players, like especially guys who just popped up Vaughn and like all these guys are they're great. So uh, is that major league coaching? Is that our biases? Uh, you know, it's not like Kelnick hit the ground running. Uh, I would say that I think that uh, pitching. Uh, in Mar- in Seattle is maybe a little bit ahead of hitting, but Quattlebaum came from the Mariners, um, and so it, it may be just a bias of mine to to think that he's good. I've also heard uh, from people that I trust that he's he's a very good hitting coach, and it's the kind of stuff that I heard about Donnie Ecker uh, before he uh, took over in in um, San-, San Francisco. Now, what's happened in San Francisco? Uh, in Cincinnati, Donnie I think was assistant hitting coach, and he got let go. In San Francisco, he's the number one hitting coach. And here is a a place that you can kind of, it's not perfect, but it is the the stat that I would use to evaluate hitting coaches. And that is reach rate. Um, And the reason that I would use reach rate, uh, how often a batter swings outside the zone, is uh, for a few reasons. One, um, pizza cutter, uh, Russell Carlton, did have a piece that said that... uh, hitting coaches can have a an effect that you see in the numbers when it comes to swing and reach rates. So that's that's their major point of um, influence is uh, do I make my hitters a little bit more passive and they don't reach as much or do I make them more aggressive? 
that's the kind of toggle, the major toggle that you see in the numbers. That doesn't describe every relationship. Of course, there are uh, hitting coaches that come and change mechanics or do this or do that, right? But that's when you look at just numbers-wise, what is their effect? This is their effect. So reach rate. Uh, The other thing is reach rate uh, encapsulates uh, planning, game planning, I think, almost better than anything, right? How do I get my hitters to reach less? Well, I tell them what's coming. And I prepare them in a way that makes them feel good, right? Um, and so, uh, about not swinging at, at balls. And then also the last thing is not swinging at balls is super important, <laughs> uh, in terms of, let's see here, I'm going to use the pitch info, uh, plate discipline, um, O swing on fan graphs. Uh, here are the teams that, uh, reached the least Padres, Dodgers, Giants, Yankees, Astros, A's, Brewers. I mean, is there a bad team in there? Um, No. No. And so here's my bias. Uh, The Mets reach at the 11th most rate. So perhaps Quattlebaum is not getting through or is not doing as great a job as I expected. Perhaps there was some bias on my part uh, in that that comment that I made. Um, But I would say that in terms of hitting coaching... Um, you know, those teams that I just mentioned are getting good hitting coaching. Yeah, it's, it's pretty interesting because I, I, I think it's it's something I've never really tried to quantify in the past. I think everybody always turns to the hitting coach and the pitching coach as the two scapegoats when things aren't going wrong. Teams not scoring runs, blame the hitting coach. Teams not preventing runs, blame the pitching coach. To a large extent, they're only as effective as the quality of the players they're working with, but the job right. is to... I think take a lot of information and synthesize it in a way where a lot of people who learn in different ways and think about the game in a few different ways can actually, you know, understand it and apply it. And I think that's that's a challenge, right? It's it's, it's being a teacher, you're not teaching people how to hit, you're teaching them more about what is happening to them in a sequence. And and some guys are going to learn that really well, others aren't, and then it's going to depend on the quality of the teacher and and what they do. And I don't know how you measure can you measure improvement? Can you measure, you know, O swing percentage over? Could you take a group of players who were there with one hitting coach and measure that and, and say, okay, here's what they were doing, and now here's what they're doing with this hitting coach? Like, yeah, you could do that, but the players also got older, so over time you're going to probably reach a bit more. Reach less. You reach less over time. You swing less. Hmm. As you get older, you swing less. Uh, I've done that before, though, and I I wrote a piece um, defending. Dave Hudgens, when he was fired by the Mets, because I said, look, if you look at their swing rates, uh, a lot of these guys did better, had better swing uh, choices uh, with him than without him. Um, And who picked him up but the Astros? And I know uh, there's a whole (laughs) thing there. And he was, I guess he was there for that. I I believe him when he says he didn't have a part in that. Um, I also think he was a good hitting coach. He's now, uh, I think, the bench coach in Toronto. Uh, but he's also taken on hitting coaching d- duties there. So uh, I think the world of him, and I I, I, I hope that uh, it, it is true um, that uh, that he wasn't part of that. And Toronto has a better-than-average uh, reach rate. So interesting little side note. Uh, here's some things that uh, occurred to me while you were talking. Um, Brandon Nimmo, uh, 
was was put on this earth to to walk <laughs> uh he has a celebration for his walks uh and um i talked to him about this recently and he said that uh his dad since he was like six or seven uh would like put colors on the ball and and tell him to uh tell him to track the colors would tell him to uh yell out what pitch type it was when he threw it um would uh like like painted a strike zone and like uh was very uh, all about controlling the zone and he had an older brother that went to nebraska d1 and the two of them would train in this in this uh shed in nebraska uh that that he built out to to basically mimic uh to have the strike zone and have the the mound um and he would actually get really close to kind of uh make these decisions harder on nimmo uh, which is important because Nimmo wasn't playing high school baseball or travel baseball like the rest of uh, you know the major league baseball players. He was playing some legion ball and then practicing with his dad in the shed. Uh, but he trained all this stuff, and I asked him about what does he do now to hone that because he now has the fourth best reach rate in baseball. So what do you do now to do that? And he goes, well, I still do some of the drills that I used to do, but now I can go and ask you. Uh, what's the extension on this pitcher and how much ride does it get on his fastball? Cause he said that those were two things that he added at the major league level that helped him understand how much the fastball was going to jump out of the zone at the top of the zone, mm. you know? So should he take that for high four seam that looks like it's in the zone uh, because it's going to ride out of the zone. Um, and then also he said just uh, the extension helps him uh, understand how, uh, how quickly the ball is going to get upon him, you know, because it, 92 with low extension and 92 with that, with high extension, the ball coming, coming out closer to you is different. So he, those are things that's Hugh's talking. That's Hugh talking, right? That's, that's, that's Hugh giving him information that he wants. Um, and the other thing I thought of was, uh, Donnie Ecker coaches, Brandon Crawford, Buster Posey and Brandon belt and Evan Longoria. These four guys have been around for effing ever, right? All four of them are showing either the best or top three reach rates of their career. And all four of them are super different people, like totally, <laughs> totally different people. Buster Posey is an analytical red ass who is looking at the numbers and then he goes and takes that bat and he goes back and looks at the numbers and he wants information. He wants to know everything he can know. He's a catcher, you know, he's, he, and he's, he just wants to compete like nobody's business. Brandon belt is a mellow effing dude. Like just a <laughs> mellow dude. I, I asked him about this. He's like, just just tell me what the guy has. Just tell me what the guy has. That's all I want to know. Just tell me what he has. Maybe some a little bit about the shapes. That's it. Uh, Brandon Crawford is somewhere in between. Evan Longoria made fun of me for asking him about walks when he first came to San Francisco. Literally made fun of me to another <laughs> writer. He's now, like why he has the best, I don't know, I, I probably said Raider ratio or something, you know, like, I, I, I don't know. I don't remember, actually, I, I remember us talking about walks. I don't remember him being mad about it in the conversation, but he sort of uh, derided me to another writer somehow. And I was like, what? Come on, Evan. Um, but uh, now he's got the best walk rate he's had in like five years and the best reach rate of his career. So that to me is like, okay, the hitting coach is good. This hitting coach is good. I, I think it's a little bit harder. You maybe the very best and the very worst are kind of easy to spot. And then it's a little bit harder in the middle. 
Right. In in the middle, I feel like results are just going to push you out the door if things aren't going well. Like because you don't have something standing out, you're, right? Yeah, but you're also uh, in the pecking order. Like that's the other thing I thought of when you were said there. You're hired to fire to be fired. I mean, there's, nobody's around for very long. They they have one or two year tenures. Some some guys make it past that and around for a long time. But uh, 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 you're hired to be fired. You're the first first in the line of fire if the offense doesn't doesn't do what you what it's supposed to. So, any case, uh, if there are any intrepid listeners out there looking for a project, I do think matched uh, weighted weighted by by volume, matched O swing changes. Uh, before and after a hitting coach is uh, and swing, swing and O swing, uh, those are uh, interesting ways to evaluate a hitting coach. Yeah, just to put a bow on it, I just think back to the pre Willie Adames era in Milwaukee this season. I feel like there were a lot more calls for Andy Haynes to be relieved as the Brewers hitting coach. And since they've played really well since adding Adames, I feel like those. Those calls Rowdy have gone comes away. over and does well. Adamas comes over and does well. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, uh, yeah, the the Christian saga is just, um, I think, probably a physical one. Right. That doesn't seem like Andy Haynes's fault. Like, it seems like there's a little more going on there that there we're was still some, trying to figure out. There was some question at some point this year, like if he would come back and play. Weird. Right? Just weird. Well, right. He, he, was, he went back. Maybe he went back on the DL for the back. Right, and it was a it ended up being a quick stint, but I think everybody thought, oh, this this could be really bad because he just came back, right? He had he came. I'm sure back to play he's one game, pain. I think, before he went back. I'm he sure has he's to be. Pain. All right, he's just not telling anybody, right? Like that. That's the or only the team knows. They're just not gonna. They're not really talking about it. it. Maybe it's the kind of thing he can't make it worse structurally by playing with it, so they let him play. And they but say, he feels well, like poop. But he doesn't feel well, and he's not going to hit the ball nearly as hard as often as he did. He's not going to barrel it the same way. I, I don't. Again, this is pure speculation, but I think it's it's easy to see how the the narrative around a team uh, changes, and then suddenly the the hitting coach or the pitching coach becomes uh, a lot safer all of a sudden. I think Milwaukee's probably one example of that. Uh, thanks a lot for that question, Alan. A couple more pitching things we should get to before we go. Trevor Rogers, I think, is interesting for the future ADP watch. And I think about him kind of in the same sort of light that I was thinking about Logan Gilbert earlier this week. I mean, he's done everything we are looking for, really, in a young pitcher. Great results so far. Uh, he's been away from the team on the restricted list for uh, like a personal matter. So he, we don't really know if he's coming back to pitch anytime soon. What he's done so far through 20 starts, though, has, I think, laid the groundwork for him to be probably a top 20, top 25 pitcher, at least in terms of ADP, maybe not in terms of rank, but I think based on how he's going to be treated going to next season, it's going to be a premium to go out and get Trevor Rogers. Is there anything you see in his profile that would give you pause about going after him if he ends up falling into that previously noted like 75-ish range where I think Logan Gilbert's going to end up? Um, If he's that cheap, I have no qualms about taking him. I have a feeling he won't be cheap at all. I have a feeling he might be right after that Giolito grouping that we were talking about. You think he's going to get that high? Yeah. Um, it's interesting. Some of the Stuff Plus updates we had um, captured a little bit more of his stuff. And so he has 102 stuff, uh, 101 location, 102 pitching. 
this is a comfortably above average pitcher uh, in a great park. Uh, and uh, I think I, I think I would rank him in the top 20. Uh, wouldn't it, wouldn't you kind of rank him right after that? Uh, like, would you, who would you rather have uh, Rogers or, or Mally? I think I'd take Rogers much safer yes. place to pitch. Yeah. Who would you rather have uh Mally or Gilbert? Gilbert's a one Oh three stuff plus 99 location, one Oh four pitching. Uh, Tyler Mally is similar, but maybe more command. Yeah. I think, I think there's more command for Mally. If I remember what I've seen from the cards in the past, I think I'd go, I think I'd go Gilbert there too, though. And I, it Mally really is comes... 101 stuff, 104 location, 103 pitching. So pitching says, but it's sort of like our conversation. Gilbert's more stuff forward and Mally's more locations forward. However, Mally's also shown this location ability for a lot of years. Yeah, I'm very confident in that ability for Mally. I, I think that's a very good would you rather, but I guess this one circles back around to what about Rogers versus Gilbert? Like what okay, do we do just, in that situation? We're gonna rank the three. Yeah, <laughs> just rank the three. He's <laughs> circling around it with these would you rather. I'm still I'm still thinking NLDH. Okay, Rogers. I'm going Mally Gilbert. There's just a a little bit of a whiff of risk around Gilbert for me in terms of regression. You know, second year regression and a possible difference in price tag. Where uh, it may, I might be taking uh, Mally at price versus Gilbert at price. I think I'm gonna go Gilbert Rogers Mally, mm. but again, I, we're we're splitting hairs in August about 2022 value. I don't think this is a. I definitely like Roger or I like Gilbert the most, slamming the fist down and. and well, I think you know. You know uh, putting the curveball away and finding a really useful changeup uh, at the major league level has been kind of huge for Gilbert, and it it's it's a little bit of a lesson in like you know these guys don't uh, get to the major leagues as fully formed situations, you know. Right. Yeah. Always uh, tweaking and tweaking and tweaking again. Uh, last name to throw at you for today: Luis Garcia, the Astros pitcher that you've I think liked for a long time. Uh, I believe he's been on your radar really since he first kind of popped up in the big leagues. Where do we go with his ADP? Does he kind of fit into this group or is he one more tier below the names that we just mentioned? 111. No, see, this is not, this is the wrong guy. There's two Luis Garcias in here. They both have good stuff. The other one must be a reliever. Split finger. Luis Garcia doesn't have a split finger. No, but he's got a bunch of above average pitches. Who is the other Luis Garcia? Mm, anyway, which team does he play for? I'll I'll, I'll figure that out while you while you. One hundred four stuff plus for Luis Garcia. One twenty slider. One hundred sixteen changeup. One hundred three cutter. Ninety eight uh, four seam. Ninety five curveball. I mean, I love it. It's like it's great stuff across the board. The location plus is above average. Three of his five pitches. Not not like it's basically average for the other two. I love him. Uh, I th- I am in the tank. I will take him above all the guys we just mentioned. I guess him versus Rogers is a little bit interesting. If there was no NLDH, Rogers in Marlins Park, you know, without a DH, 
Maybe. I think the AL West is still going to be a reasonably easy division to pitch in next year, too. So that, that bodes really well. I think really the well. A's may blow it up. You know? That's sad. There's, the parks are, there's three parks there that are nice to pitch in. And, and then he's got his home park, which is not amazing to pitch in, but it's his home park. So there's really no scary park in that division, except for Anaheim has been playing a little bit hitter-friendly recently. I'm on board with Luis Garcia being in the conversation with those other names. I think he's proven you it. put him among those three? I don't think he'll have any sort of restrictions on his workload next year. I think I'd go Gilbert, Garcia, mm, Rogers, love Gilbert. Malley. Love, love yeah. the love for Gilbert. Yep. I, I, and I, again, maybe I'm overhyping him. Maybe I'm, I'm expecting too much because of the prospect pedigree, but I've got Gilbert at the top of that group. I've got Garcia second. Uh, reliever Luis Garcia is a Cardinal, by the way. There you An go. old Cardinal, 34. Hmm. He has a good split finger, apparently. I would go, uh, yeah, I would go <sighs> Rogers Garcia. Like, that's really, I think there's some information we need to split those up, but I would put those two next to each other. Uh, and then, oh, and then here's another question for you. Uh, how many innings do you think Garcia gets to this year? He threw 108. 109 in 2019. He's at 116 right now. And they're keeping him closer to five, I think, right now, as much as they can. He got the six a couple starts ago. Yeah, but a lot of fives and four and two thirds on the game log. I mean, he's got hit a couple times recently, too. I bet you they they keep him on schedule, but they do some twos and threes and get uh, Javier in there. Yeah, maybe. I, I think they probably want to keep him fresh for the postseason, too, because he's an important arm for them. How do you do that? That's the hardest thing. Is you want to keep him stretched out. So he's stretched out as a starter for the postseason, but you don't want to blow through the, the doors off of every previous thing. And you also want to keep him on schedule for maybe pitching 180 next year. Yeah, I think you maybe skip a turn instead. Like if you taper him down, do you have enough time to taper him back up? Or what about a six man? You could try that. It's either, to me, it's, I don't like skipping... Because then it's just like a hole in the middle and you have to work back out of it. What I, I think I would lean towards either tandem uh, with Javier, where you're kind of stretching them both out to like two and a half. And then near the end of the season, either Javier takes over for Odorizzi and Odorizzi goes to the pen. You know, by getting people to like two and a half, three, you have some options as they ramp up or down from there. I'm a little concerned about Christian Javier's walk rate being up this year. 12.6%, and the results have been great. 284 ERA, 113 whip, 107 Ks, and 85 and two-thirds innings. He's providing plenty of value in the role the Astros have put him in. I guess I'm concerned in that it gives me a lot of doubts about his chances of eventually moving back into a starting role. Yeah. And it's uh, it's something that... Uh, popped in command plus he always had uh sort of 90 sub 90 around there uh command plus um i'm i'm pulling up the location location plus is just slightly below average and says he can actually locate a slider uh decently uh but stuff plus is mostly all slider and then an average four seam average knuckle average change i still i'm still a pretty big fan and i think um he just has too much value for them as a starter for them to ignore that. Plus, he he pitched enough innings this year uh, to think about him as a starter next year. For sure. And uh, I think that there's uh, 
uh, enough need that at the very worst going into next year, he'll be their sixth starter. Yeah, and that's a good spot to be in, as we learned with Luis Garcia this draft season. Um, all it takes is one injury. He was injury. a sixth starter coming into the season with a slightly different profile, like better command, but lots of pitches, good stuff. I mean, I think if Javier drops a lot in drafts next year, I'll, I'll have some shares, man. He's a great draft Champions League guy. If you're going to play some draft and hold leagues, Javier's going to get innings. And it Worst could be case a scenario, split he's the guy you slip in there when everyone else is injured and, you're, and you just need some innings. Right. Uh, there could be some uh, Ross Stripling type usage going on here. Good Ross Stripling type usage. And he was actually <laughs> pitching pretty well before he got hurt more recently, kind of turning things around after a slow start. We're all uh, last- looking for the next Ross Stripling. On Javier, we really are. Sorry. <laughs> on, on Javier, we're like, is it interesting to you that his walk rate as a starter this year was actually lower than what it's been in the bullpen? I mean, he's just under four walks per nine as a starter. He's over five and a half as a reliever. Uh, let me see here. His mix has been mostly fastball slider, right? Yep. So he's uh, he's uh, he's slowed down the secondary pitches. So fastball slider, location plus. Uh, Second worst location plus among his pitches is a forcing fastball. Oh, lefties just, oh man, he, he walks lefties like crazy. Seven walks per nine in his split against lefties. Only three oh, walks per nine man, against righties. That's really interesting. We haven't done uh, uh, splits on stuff and location yet. Um, and I think that could be instructive, maybe a year two type thing. The good news is, uh, this model, instead of changing, and because I, I've worked with all these different modelers, and they all get hired by the last four have been hired by teams, uh, and so every year feels like, oh God, I gotta, I gotta work with someone to build it all over again. Uh, this year, the good news is, um, even though Max Bay has been hired by a team, congratulations, Max. Yeah, congrats to Max, and, and thank you for all the hard work here. Yeah, for sure. Uh, uh, is that there's going to be a handoff? So I will have the model and I will be looking uh, for a modeler to work with uh, on these sorts of questions. Because, you know, Zach Granke said a long time ago to me, and it's something that most pitchers agree with with him about, is that you have better command to your arm side. So if you're a righty, you better command pitching to a right-handed hitter? Yes. So I would guess that Javier is having a hard time pitching inside to lefties with the forcing. Seems like a very good hypothesis based on what we've got there and probably merits a little further exploration, but that seems pretty correctable. If that's your flaw, it, you've stuff like Javier does, that seems like the kind of thing you could actually fix pretty well, it's easily. It's weird that it's exacerbated in a relief role, but uh, maybe he's just the, the plan is more fastball slider. And uh, when he was a starter, uh, he would mix in a, more back foot curveballs and steal strikes in different ways uh, that he's just not doing as a reliever. Yeah, so interesting pitcher for sure. Definitely one that I still like for deeper leagues in 2022, even though that walk rate is up for the season. Uh, we are going to head out because it is the weekend. Yay, I got Friday. A chat. We made it. Eno's got a chat to get to. Uh, if you don't have a subscription to The Athletic, you can get one for 30% off at theathletic.com slash rates and barrels. Be sure to do that. Check out all the good stuff we have and you know, be there the next time Eno does a chat. On Twitter, he's at Eno Saris. I'm at Derek Van Riper. You can always email us, rates and barrels at theathletic.com is the best way to reach us. And of course, if you're enjoying this show on a platform that allows you to leave us a rating review, we'd greatly appreciate that. We did have a question about 
helping us out on Spotify. Uh, at this time, there's nothing you can do on Spotify to rate or review a podcast. So as long as you're subscribing there, that's awesome. But if you want to go on Apple Podcasts and drop us a rating, even though you listen on Spotify, I guess that'd be the the best thing you could do to uh, you know, kind of help us out on that front. So we appreciate everybody who's done that. Of course, we appreciate all of you who've been subscribers to The Athletic. You always just jump on YouTube and hang a like on my weird ass uh, eyeballs from this morning. Yes, yes. Hit the like button, <laughs> hit the subscribe button on YouTube. That's another good way to help support the show as well. But hopefully everybody has a great weekend. We are back with you on Monday. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.